0: Center. all right Romans chapter eleven take your Bible open to romans chapter eleven and uh, I was telling Cody this morning you know there are some passages of the Bible uh, when we come to that are like man yeah this is just kind of an easy easier passage to work through and then there are some passages of scripture where man it's like this is real Bible study like we have to kind of work a little bit to understand that so if you're here this morning and maybe today's your first time or you're newer to our church or maybe you're live streaming this morning, uh, we come to the Bible, we like to preach just front to back through a book of the Bible so we don't skip uh, the hard parts or the parts that are hard to swallow in, in the sense that, man, that's kind of all over me. Uh, Romans chapter 11 is going to be one of the passages uh, the next couple of weeks. We're going to have to do a little Bible study, Okay. And so I'm just, I'm I'm giving you the warning uh, and, but also the encouragement that this is a powerful passage of scripture that we need to understand. And the reason we need to understand it is because God put it in his Bible and all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. And and so this morning, you know, this isn't seven steps to a healthier marriage and, you know, five ways to have a better prayer life and all of that stuff is important. Okay. I'm not knocking that, but this morning we're going to get into some doctrinal stuff and, uh, and, and we're not scared of that around here. We, we believe God gave us his word uh, as it stands so, so that we can understand it. And so Romans chapter 11, we've been studying the book of Romans. We've been back in it for a couple of weeks. And especially chapters 9, 10, and 11 predominantly deal with the nation of Israel. And, and, and we, we kind of use this simple outline. Romans 9 it deals with Israel's past. Romans 10 deals with Israel's present as it relates to the gospel, and included in Romans 10 are many of the verses that we cling to for our salvation. And what Paul is doing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God is showing, the, showing us that under the Old Testament economy, Israel had a way to be right with God. It was through the law. It was through works. It was through keeping what God had commanded uh, as a nation in the Old Testament, now presently Christ is the end of the law for all righteousness, and so in Romans chapter 10, we saw that Israel was still trying to establish their own righteousness by works, by the Old Testament standard, and God said that doesn't work anymore because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, and so in other words, to be right with God, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you have to have faith in the finished work of Christ, okay? And then Romans 11, what we'll talk about today in the next couple of weeks, is Israel's future. It's Israel's future. And the reason that's important, and it's the title of the message this morning, Israel's future is guaranteed. God has a guaranteed future for the nation of Israel. And and, and again, man, listen, if you're a Christian, you're you're probably wondering, why in the world, why aren't we talking about the church and Christianity? Well, we're we're going to. But don't for a second think that church and Christianity has replaced God's plan for his people, the nation of Israel. I can remember as a kid watching the news, and I wasn't a Christian, but I remember as a kid watching the news and seeing news about the Middle East conflict, right? It's always Israel and Middle East and the Arabs, and they're always warring, and and there's been so many attempts at peace, uh, peace treaties and different governments and administrations and policies. And you know what's crazy? Uh, I'm a little older now, obviously, and and that, that is still a recurring theme. We're almost numb to the fact that there is just unrest in the Middle East and Israel is a continual topic of news. And maybe not so much now because you know we're enamored with politics, at least in this country, and, and so we, we, you know, we maybe spin it. But I'm just telling you, that's a, that's a thing that has been present every day since I've been born. And, and for most of you, you know, man, that, that is a hotbed of not only world news, but it's a hotbed of biblical prophecy. And the reason why is because God has a plan for the nation of Israel. He had a plan in the past. He has a plan for the present, and right now they're blind to that. But God has a plan for the future. And so we're going we're gonna to read Romans 11, verses uh, 1 through 11, and then I'm going to pray, and then we've got to get going. So let's, let's read the verse, and then, uh, and then we'll pray. Verse 1 says this. Again, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, He says, I say then, and and when he says that, he's coming off the heels of two chapters, Romans 9 and 10, dealing with Israel. I say then, Hath God cast away his people? And the next two words are worth underlining in your Bible God forbid. God forbid. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone and, seek my, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him, unto, unto Elias, unto Elijah? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, there is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. And anybody that just read that with me is like, what? (laughs) That's a tongue twister. All right, we'll talk about it. And then Paul says, verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election... "...hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this, uh, unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not, may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall?" God forbid, and there, there again, those two important words, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto who? The Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. All right, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of stuff today, so let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we need you, uh, Lord, this morning, uh, I cannot do uh, what is before us this morning in my flesh, Lord, uh, you know I am weak and, and a man of stammering lips, and, and Father, I can't understand your word, but... But your Holy Spirit is the teacher, and as we compare Scripture with Scripture, Lord, that's how you promise to reveal truth to us. And so, God, help us this morning to be ready of mind to hear your Word. Uh, This morning, we'll learn some things that are bigger than us. Help us to see that that the Bible and what you have in your Word is not always about us. It's bigger than us. And so, Lord, help us to see that today, how you have a plan for your people, and it's a plan of restoration. And so, God, help us to to understand these truths this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, point number one in your notes. Grab your note sheet if you want to follow along, and uh, you'll get some good things to, to study a little bit later this week. Number one, I want to show you that there is a promise of Israel's future. There is a promise of Israel's future. You see, in the Old Testament, God had a specific plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel. God's plan was that they would be his chosen vessel and vehicle to get God's word to the world, to the nations. God wanted to use the nation of Israel to to reveal his character and nature, not just to Israel, but to the entire world. God chose them. God delivered them from Egypt. God grew them through the wilderness. Ultimately, they entered into the promised land. As they established themselves in that land, God gave them rulership, culminating in a kingdom and Israel's peak really in the Old Testament was under the rule of David and Solomon. As a matter of fact, Solomon when when Solomon was the king of Israel, the entire nation and the entire land had rest because all of all of Israel's enemies were were defeated. And you both are, are you know that both David and Solomon are pictures or types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so And so God's plan was to use this group of people reigned by their king to reach the world with God's word, to spread the message of redemption and forgiveness and reveal who Jehovah God is. And then as we transition into the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes on the scene offering the true kingdom to the nation of Israel because he ultimately was their right king. He was their Messiah And you know the story if you've read the Gospels. Israel as a whole rejected Christ. They rejected Christ. They rejected his word. They rejected the salvation through his shed blood. And ultimately, they rejected the kingdom that God wanted to establish through them with Christ being the king. And and so you know what happens. After their rejection, the Gentiles, those of us that aren't Jewish, had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. That's the whole book of Acts, by the way. I just gave you the book of Acts in about five sentences. The book of Acts is the transition from God dealing with the nation of Israel to God dealing with the Gentile nations and making the gospel available. Well, listen, we've just, we just finished two chapters, Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, dealing with Israel's rejection of Christ. And, and ultimately, the obvious question is, Well, has God done with them? I mean, they've rejected Christ. They've rejected the gospel. God has moved to the Gentiles now. Most people that receive the gospel today are not Jewish. They're Gentile. God is calling out a Gentile bride. By the way, if that terminology confuses you, a Gentile is just anyone who's not a Jew. Most of the people that respond to Christ nowadays are Gentiles. And so there's this Gentile bride that's being called out and built up. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ is predominantly Gentile. So, what about Israel? I mean, listen, because of their rejection of Christ, is God going to just cast away his people? That's a legitimate question. And, and listen, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in religious circles that say yes. Well, Hebrews 11 and verse 1, Paul asked the question that everybody else asked. I say then, hath God cast away his people? And then God answers the question. And the answer is, God forbid. God forbid. And and so the point is, even though God is now using and and working through the church, the Gentile bride of Christ, God is not done with the nation of Israel. And so get get this key point in your notes. Israel's rejection of God did not eliminate God's promises to them. It only postponed them. It only postponed those promises, oh, for about 2,000 years. Because because right now, we are in a dispensation, a time period of the church. But listen, God's not done with Israel. He's not done with His people. And, And again, Romans 11 and verse 1, the question is, hath God cast away His people? And so as we study the Bible, you need to understand that, number one, there is a national... Israel. There's a national Israel. And Paul uses himself as an example to say that nationally, Israel in his day still existed. Look what it says. Paul says in verse one, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of who? The tribe of Benjamin. And so I want you to understand that nationally, the nation of Israel is not lost God knows exactly where all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel are. Uh, Paul gives his credentials as a national Jew down to the very specific tribe that he's from. He's of the tribe of what? Of Benjamin. And so you've got some references in your notes. We're not going to take the time to study those. But in Revelation 7, you need to understand that during the tribulation period, there are 12,000 Jewish males from the 12 tribes of Israel. And God knows exactly where every one of those tribes are because those 12 tribes are going to have 12,000 virgin men that are the, the true Jehovah Witnesses during the tribulation period. And so, and so these jokers that run around today that call themselves Jehovah Witnesses, um, they're really the Jehovah non-witnesses because the true Jehovah Witnesses, number one, they're Jews, number two, they're men, number three, they're virgins. And it tells you very clearly in Revelation chapter 7, that's who they are. And they show up at a very specific time during the tribulation period. In Ezekiel 48, God gives us information about the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. All 12 tribes are identified. In Ezekiel 48 and Revelation 21, the Bible talks about the gates of New Jerusalem. And oh, by the way, those gates are inscribed with the 12 tribes of Israel. The point is, God's got a plan for national Israel. He's not cast them away. He's going to restore them. There's a lot of prophecy still to be fulfilled concerning his people. You also need to know that there is a spiritual Israel. And and listen, again, when we read Romans, we've read this in Romans chapter 4, there is an application in the sense that we are spiritual Jews connected to Abraham through faith. But that's where that connection stops. And, and so let me, let me read, I don't even, yeah, I've got Romans chapter 4. Thank you, brother. I was like, did I put that in the notes? Look at verse 11, Romans 4, verse 11. And he received the sign of the circumcision. Let's talk about Abraham. A seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And and, and again, you have more references in your notes. Galatians 3 says that because we are in Christ by faith, we're Abraham's seed spiritually but there ain't there ain't a, no offense I'm looking around the room there's there's not a legitimate national jew I don't believe in the room you can correct me after we get done if if you are here we're all gentiles that are spiritually connected to Abraham by faith does that make sense we're 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 of the seed of Abraham So, in other words, there are no, and always, when when God makes that comparison back to Abraham, it always stops at Abraham. In other words, there are no spiritual Benjaminites, there are no spiritual Reubenites, there are no spiritual Gadites and any other tribe. God's comparison for us spiritually being connected to Israel and to Abraham ends at Abraham, it only ends at Abraham. And so here's the problem, and here's the thing that we need to understand. We need to make sure that we understand the difference between national Israel and spiritual Israel. Those of you that are in MTT, that's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. One is literal and physical. One is spiritual. And you had better know which one you're a part of and which promises are associated to which kingdom? And so, and so in your notes, here's the next key. How are we doing so far? You guys good? You might want to get a coffee and a donut, I'm telling you. Okay, here's the key. We need to learn not to ascribe to the spiritual, in other words, the spiritual Israel, what is promised to the national or the literal Israel. In other words, in our culture, it is not uncommon to have anti-Semitic attitude toward the nation of Israel. And when I say anti-Semitic, I just mean anti-Jewish. There are people that profess to be believers in Christ who absolutely are anti-Semitic in their stance to Israel. People that would say that they're born-again believers. Now that's a little jacked up because the Bible has a lot to say about his people. As we actually get through Romans 11, you'd be an idiot. I've been working on that. My, my daughter has been riding a lot with me in the car, and my, my wife has trained her to be my Holy Spirit now, and so in traffic, there are words that I use, like idiot, and, and then I try to use other words. I mean moron. I mean dummy. You know, I try to translate it, and, and she speaks all languages and all, understands all those words. Daddy, those are the same thing. Daddy, <laughs> those are the same thing but but i'm just telling you as it relates to the nation of israel you would be foolish to be anti-semitic and the reason why you would be foolish is number 1 you have a jewish savior jesus christ is a jew you got a jewish bible the bible says that the oracles of god were given to the jews do you understand that the model of ministry that we use is based on the temple model it's jewish It's Judeo-Christianity, whether you like it or not. (laughs) It's based on the nation of Israel. And so, so listen, uh, there are a lot of people that get the national Israel and the spiritual Israel mixed up. They focus on the spiritual Israel. They kick the national Israel out of the picture. God says he's not done with them. As a matter of fact, every amillennialist needs to read Romans 11 and verse 1. If you don't know what an amillennialist is... Uh, that's okay. You'll get that in time. People like Augustine, people like the reformers, including Martin Luther, people like John Calvin, lose Israel as it relates to prophecy, and they think the church has replaced Israel. They ascribe to the spiritual what God has promised to the national. National that is error. It is resting Scripture out of context. And so then God gives us two examples. Number one, he gives us an illustration through Elijah. And, and, and so if you go back to verse 2, it says, God hath not cast away his people, which ye foreknew. What ye not that the scripture saith of Elias, how that he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets, they dig down thy altars, I'm left alone, they seek my life. But what's the answer of God to him? I've reserved of myself 7,000 men, which have not bowed the knees to the image of Baal. And many of you know the story of Elijah. Do you guys remember Elijah? We did a whole series on Elijah a couple years ago. Elijah's the prophet of God. Many of you remember the story. He makes this miraculous stand for God on Mount Carmel. There's these 850 false prophets of Baal, and then there's Elijah, and then there's the nation of Israel, who are just completely backslidden against God. And so Elijah's like, let's just find out who God really is. Let's just see who the one true God is. And so they go up to the mountain, and he says, uh, let's just have a sacrifice. Uh, you guys sacrifice a bull and put it on the altar. And the God that answers by fire, he's the one true God. And so these 850 prophets of Baal, man, they, they, they get the bull, they sacrifice it, they put him on the altar. Uh, Elijah says, hey, make sure you don't have a cigarette lighter in your pocket or a book of matches. No cheating. They put him on the altar, and they start crying out to Baal. And they do it all day long. You know, they're they're begging God, they're begging Baal to answer. And, you know, after a few hours, Elijah loosens up and starts making fun of him, probably calls him an idiot. Okay, maybe he doesn't call him an idiot, but, but he does say, hey, is your God sleeping? Like, why is he not answering? You know, is he using the bathroom? Is he on vacation? I mean, what's the problem? And so after the foolishness has ceased, Elijah says, okay, everybody watch this. He sacrifices the animal. He puts it on the altar that he builds, and then he says, hey, go get some water, and let's just saturate this offering and the wood. Let's make sure everything is soaking wet. And, uh, and then he prays, and you know the story. God sends fire down, consumes the altar, consumes the rocks, consumes all the water and the dirt around the, the altar. Uh, God answers because God is the one true God, right? And then he kills all of those false prophets, I mean, Elijah's a stud. I'm just saying, man, that dude is the real deal. So you would think, man, what a major victory and and pinnacle in your faith with God. And then there's this wicked woman named Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, devilish woman, witchy woman, man. She threatens Elijah and says, by tomorrow, I'm going to have you dead. And Elijah freaks out. He runs He goes into a cave. He hides in the back part of the cave. And while he's back there, 1 Kings 19, he's bellyaching to God. Well, I am the only prophet of God left. And the Lord had to educate him a little bit and say, hey, bro, uh, there's actually 7... It's in the Hebrew. Hey, bro, uh, there's actually 7,000... There's 7,000 of the nation of Israel that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. In other words... There was a remnant that God had, even though Elijah didn't see him, God had a remnant, and the remnant was based on what they did and did not do. They didn't bow their knee to Baal. They didn't worship Baal. And so in your notes, look, God reserved for himself in the Old Testament 7,000 men of Israel based on their works. Because they did not bow their knee to Baal. Elijah's problem was that he couldn't see that there was a remnant, but there was a remnant, and God's election, listen to this very carefully, God's divine election of those 7,000 did not precede their conduct. In other words, God did not choose those 7,000 before the foundation of the world to be right with him. They made a choice to not bow their knee to Baal. And when they made the choice not to worship Baal, God says in Romans chapter 11, I've reserved that 7,000 to me. In other words, their election was based on their works. God didn't choose before the foundation of world, the world to, to save 7,000 in the book of 1 Kings and to let everyone else go to hell. No, that's not, there wasn't Calvinism in the Old Testament. It was based on on what their response was to God and to his word. So even so, God is using that Old Testament example to show us that in this present age, as Paul's writing, there's still a remnant. Look at verse five, Romans 11 and verse five. Even so, and again, he's connecting the story of Elijah to to his present situation for Israel. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant, according to the election of what? Of grace. Okay, so, so in your notes, God has a present day remnant, present day in Paul's time, remnant of the nation of Israel, according to election, but it's not based on works anymore. It's based on what? It's based on grace. In other words, God's election... For the remnant was based on their response to the gospel. It's based on the response to who Jesus Christ is. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Listen, when you elect God, God elects you. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And so, and so Paul is using, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's using that Old Testament passage with Elijah and saying that God reserved 7,000 by works back then. And God has a remnant today by grace, because they responded to Christ. They responded to the gospel. Not all Israel has responded, but the election has responded. They've responded by grace, by by faith, by God's grace through faith, okay? Uh, Let me, again, just... We've already hammered Romans chapter 9 concerning election and foreknowledge. If you weren't here for that, you need to go back on the website and find those messages in Romans chapter 9 because it goes through that. But let me give you a few thoughts about election and then we'll we'll move on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. You know, there there are a lot of people in, in Christianity that would say that God is before the foundation of the world, elected, Who is going to get saved and who is not going to get saved apart from their own will? In other words, if God has elected you to get saved, you'll get saved. You can't not get saved. And if God has elected that you are not going to get saved, you can't be saved no matter what. That's called Reformed theology or Calvinism. Number one, it's not biblical. Number two, it's, it's, it's a mixture of what God is dealing with, a nation of people, and individuals, people that ascribe to that doctrine conflate and confuse nations and individuals. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4 says this, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And when you read that verse, you can actually read that verse two different ways, and both are grammatically correct. In other words, when you read that verse, you can read the verse as you are the one that elected God. You chose God. Because you received the gospel and because you chose God, guess what? God chose you. Your election of God. But you could also read the verse as God choosing you. In other words, God chose you, it's your election of God. Does that make sense? And I hope you can see the difference in the language. Which one is grammatically correct? Yes. The answer is yes. And the reason why is because when you choose God, God chooses you. Well, a dead man can't choose. That's not biblical. That's not a biblical concept. As a matter of fact, when you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the entire context of verses 1-4 to 4 are about the Thessalonians' works. It says in verse 3, Paul is remembering your work of faith. He's talking about their work of faith. He, he's talking about their labor of love, he's talking about their patience, and he's talking about their election of God. You see, the passage gives us the context. It's their choice, it's their, t- it's their decision. Okay, Whew. yeah, I knew that was going to be a long point, right? Uh, the point is, Israel has a future. God illustrates that in Romans chapter 11 through a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings using Elijah and the 7,000 remnant to prove that even in Paul's time, there's a remnant and there's going to be a future for the nation of Israel. Number two, I want to show you that there's a problem that Israel has with rejecting the gospel. The problem Israel has. And and I want you to pick it up again in verse 7. And the way you kind of divide this passage is every time that Paul interjects a a thought. You know, he says in verse 1, I say then... And then in verse 7, he says, What then? And so again, he's, he's adding a different thought. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them, that their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow their Back always. Okay, so let's go to verse 7. What was Israel seeking for that they did not obtain? We go back to Romans chapter 10, they were seeking God's righteousness. Romans 10, verses 1 to 3, says that they were going about to establish their own righteousness and they've not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They're trying to be righteous outside of the way that God said to be righteous. And there's people that do that today, by the way. There's people just like the nation of Israel today. God says today, the way that you're righteous is only in Christ. By his grace, through your faith and his finished work. That's it. And anything else is you trying to establish your own righteousness. And the Jews in Paul's day were really good at it. They didn't want to let go of their their tradition, their history, Their relationship in the Old Testament with God, they didn't want to let go of that. And and listen, there are people today that don't want to let go of it. I'm going to stand before God, and God is going to measure my my good and my bad, and as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'll be acceptable in God's eyes. That's a one-way ticket to hell, by the way. Because there is no amount of good that you can ever do to overcome your sin. That's why Christ died. He died for our sin. And Israel is trying to obtain righteousness by works. And God says, yeah, that that didn't work. You can't do it anymore. So there's three groups in this passage that Paul addresses. Number one, he addresses national Israel. They're trying to seek righteousness, but they're trying to seek righteousness without Christ. And there are people like that today. Again, we're, we're dealing with the nation of Israel, but listen, similarly, there are people... They try to seek righteousness before God in many forms, and many fashions, and many ways, and none of it works outside of Christ. It just doesn't work. And, and so Paul addresses them. They're, they're seeking this. They can't attain it. Number two, the election, they have obtained righteousness, but here's how they obtained it. They obtained it by how? By grace. God's unmerited favor. That's the only way that you get it. And then number three, he says the rest were what? Okay, and here is the problem that Israel had, and here is the problem that we have many times, even in our culture, Jew and Gentile alike. You see, the Israelis' rejection of, of God's grace through Christ, it resulted in spiritual blindness, listen, and spiritual deafness. It resulted in spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness because they rejected what God said. And and specifically, they rejected Christ. The result was spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. And and so what Paul does is he quotes Isaiah chapter 29 and verses 9 to 10 as 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 a fulfillment of prophecy that's happening to them because of their rejection. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 29 and verse 9 says this, "...for the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep." I think that gets poured out in Baptist churches sometimes. He hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered, and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book, listen, that is sealed, which men deliver to one that's learned, saying, read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And, and listen, it's the Lord that is closing the eyes of the nation of Israel, and the reason why is because they've closed their eyes to him. They've they closed their ears to him. And God's a God's a gentleman, and He's a fair God. And God will give you what you want. So if you want to you want to tune God out and, and be blind and deaf to his word and his way and his way of doing things, just like the nation of Israel, well God can close your ears. You close your ears to God, God will close your ears. Do you see how that works? And you close your eyes to the things of God, and God will close your eyes to the things of God. And all of a sudden, Israel had spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. And here's the result it's in your notes. Number one, they couldn't hear the truth from their leaders because he says, Man, the prophets and your rulers and the seers hath he covered. I mean, the spiritual leaders of Israel were the prophets, they were the ones that got God's word and gave it to the nation of Israel. And then God says, you know what? Because of your rejection, the prophets and your rulers and the seers hath he covered. Listen, today, there is no new revelation for the nation of Israel. Other than what? Thus saith the Lord in this book. But man, they are blind. They cannot hear from their spiritual leaders because their spiritual leaders themselves are blind. Because they've turned their ears and they've turned their eyes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, the second result is they can't see the truth from scriptures. In other words, listen, this Jewish Bible, this oracles of God that was given to the nation of Israel, they can't, they can't see it. They can't understand it. You preach Isaiah 53 to a Jew today, they have no clue who who that's talking about. You preach Psalm 23, you, you preach any of the messianic psalms that point directly to the person of Christ to someone who is of the Jewish lineage and tradition and and religion, and man, it goes right over them. You know why? Because they're blind. Does it mean they can't get saved? No, that's not what it means. It means that if they'll open their ear to the Word of God, then God will open their ears to the truth. But when you close your ear and you close your eyes to the things of God, God gives you what you want. Matthew 13 is a good example. During Christ's earthly ministry, Matthew chapter, chapter 1 to 12, I mean, he's preaching openly in their synagogues. The truth of, of God's word is very clear to the religious leaders. But then in Matthew chapter 12, they ascribe Christ's ministry to the ministry of Beelzebub. They say that Jesus Christ is doing his ministry and the power of the devil. And in Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says that he began to speak in parables. And his disciples said to him, hey, why, why are you speaking in parables? like, this is different. Why are you doing this? And Christ answered his disciples, and he says, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. In other words, I'm teaching in parables to hide truth from people who don't want to hear it. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, and, and shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him it shall be taken, even as he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing, listen, they see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. That's why Christ spoke in parables, to hide truth from people that didn't want to hear it. So, so man, ugh, you say, man, God would do that? Well, God's just a gentleman. The same thing happens today in a practical sense. You see, when we reject God's word, number one, when we reject the gospel over and over and over again, and we go about to establish our own righteousness, when we reject the grace of God in our life, when we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the word of God, guess what? Well, God blinds your eyes and deafens your ear. And can I just tell you, even as a Christian, you may be saved But when you get to the point in your life where you begin to reject God's word and and you close your eyes to the spiritual things that God has clearly revealed to you, can I just tell you, there's a lot of blind and dumb Christians walking around too. A lot of deaf Christians that can't hear God's word. They can't see the truth of God's scriptures. Why? Because they're ignorant? No, because they've already tuned God out. Saved as the day is long but completely distance from a real relationship with God. You know that you know how that happens? It happens when you reject you stop listening, you stop seeing what God wants you to see. You tune God out and just like the nation of Israel, God says, "Okay, I'm going to help you tune me out. I'm going to give you what you want." Well, and again, when when we get to this passage of scripture uh, again, some people would say, "Well, uh Is God going to leave Israel blind forever? Are they all just condemned? Is this thing just kind of the the nail in the coffin for the nation of Israel? I want you to understand that that God's blindness for the nation of Israel has an expiration date. In other words, their blindness and their deafness is not permanent, it's temporary. Romans 11 and verse 25, is that on the screen? Yes, thank you. Look what Paul says, and we'll, we'll get to Romans 11 verse 25 in about six months, okay, but Look what he says. I told you it was Bible study this morning. Paul says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, listen, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. In other words, God put a time stamp on how long the blindness is going to happen to the nation of Israel. You guys cool with what I'm saying right now? So, So here's why this is important. And here is also why most evangelicals get it wrong because they don't have a Bible, by the way, that, that is pro-Jew. They have anti-Semitic Bibles. And in other versions of the Bible, let me give you 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16, I'm going to show you that, that God has a duration for their blindness, not a permanency to Israel's blindness. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 16 Paul writes and he says, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath has come upon them to the what? To the uttermost. In other words, if, if you're a student of the Bible, that word uttermost should ring a bell. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. In other words, the uttermost is a reference to location. The wrath of God has come upon the nation of Israel to the uttermost. That's not a statement of duration. But in other versions of the Bible, when you read other versions of the Bible, they have God's wrath on Israel as a permanent standing. In other words, God is done with them. New American Standard says that the wrath has come upon them fully. Not to the uttermost, but God's wrath has fully come upon them and they're done. The ESV says that the wrath has come upon them at last The Holman says the wrath has overtaken them at the last. And and again, I don't know why you would want an anti-Semitic Bible because because God gave you the oracles of God through the Jews, by the way. You have a Jewish savior. God's wrath has followed Israel for the last 2,000 years, but I'm telling you, his wrath is temporary. His blindness is temporary. It will happen until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And we know that it's going to pinnacle during the great tribulation. If you've studied your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7 calls that time of tribulation the time of whose trouble? Whose trouble is it? It's not the church's trouble, it's Jacob's trouble. It's the nation of Israel. It says, for that day is great so that there is none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. In other words, Israel's got the greatest comeback story ever. They got the greatest comeback story ever. Matthew 24, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no, be, no flesh be saved. I mean, this time of tribulation, great tribulation, is going to be hell On earth, and it's for Jacob, it's for the nation of Israel. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be what? Shortened. God, in His grace, is going to punish and draw the nation of Israel back to Him and draw them to repentance, and they will be fully restored. The clear teaching of Scripture is that their final restoration is going to happen with all the promises that God gave them in the Old Testament. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You say, man, who do? why do we care? Well, you better care. <laughs> it ought to affect the way you vote, by the way. It ought to affect the way that you look at the world. I asked asked our our class on Wednesday night, you know, my my kid, one of my my oldest kids is going through history, some stuff in like fourth grade right now, and she's telling me some stuff about history that she's learning, and it's really cool. She's fascinated with history. You know, what's interesting is when we learn history, we learn it from a very secular mindset. If we really want to learn history the right way, we learn it through God's perspective. And, And you study world history through the nation of Israel. That's how you get it right. You study it through the way God wrote history through the ages concerning his people because he's also writing the future. He's also writing the future. And if you know the past, you know the future. Okay. And so here's the point the point is, man, those Jews rejected God's grace. The result of that was blindness and deafness. It is temporary. But listen, we need to learn from that example. When we walk in rebellion against God's word, when we walk in opposition to what he says, we're doing our, we're, we're hurting ourselves. We're becoming blind and deaf to the very things that are, that are meant to be a blessing to us. And, and then let's finish number three is this, the, the provoking of Israel, verse 11. And again, Paul, Paul interjects kind of the transition one more time, verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And the answer to the question is what? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles... And then he gives you a kind of a a disclaimer or an amendment to what he just said. For to provoke them, in other words to provoke the Jews, to jealousy. And and again, it's hard for me to teach a, a passage like this because we're hitting a broad audience this morning. But if you've been through ministry tools and training, if you were here with our Acts study, you know that we covered how God transitioned from an emphasis on the nation of Israel to the Gentile in the book of Acts. You've seen that transition clearly. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. Acts chapter 8, Samaritans get the gospel. Acts chapter 10, Gentiles get the gospel. Acts chapter 16, God shifted his emphasis and allowed Gentiles to get saved, to receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God says that he is using the salvation of the Gentiles To provoke Israel to jealousy. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21, it says this. And and, and again, God's a fair God. God's a fair God. I I want you to see why God did that. The reason God is provoking them to jealousy is because they provoke God to jealousy. And I don't know if you ever caught this, but in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 21, it says, they, and he's talking about Israel, they have moved me to jealousy. How did they do that? With all that which is not God, they have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy. With those which are not a people, and, and by the way, lest any of us think as Gentiles that we are somebody. Before we get through Reve- uh, Romans 11, we're going to realize, man, we are, we are a dog getting the crumbs off the table. That's all we are, man. We, we have, have experienced the grace of God through Israel's rejection. And again, replacement theology is really dumb because we're just getting the crumbs, man. We don't deserve it. God, here's what God says about the Gentiles. Number one, they're not a people. There was a people in the Old Testament. It was Israel. And and the way God looked at people in the Old Testament was Israel and everybody else. You say, that's not fair. You're not God. You're not God. That's the way God worked it. And God wanted his people to take God's word to the nations. God had a heart for the nations. But I want you to understand that God says, these Gentiles, man, they're not a people. And I'm going to provoke Israel to anger with a... Foolish nation, Ugh. And, and, and most of us in this room, we can't even understand what's being said here because we're all Gentiles. Listen, we'll, we'll work through the passage next week. We'll get more into it. But can I just tell you, God says that Gentiles are foolish. He says they're not a people. They're filthy. They're fornicating dogs. That's what they are in the Bible. That's what we are. And for a Jew, and for a nation of people that were right with God in the Old Testament to see God's favor and God's grace and God's forgiveness. Go to a people like that. Well, God says that drives them to anger and jealousy. And the truth is, Israel is just reaping what they've already sown in their relationship to God. You know, if you back up in Deuteronomy 32 and you get a running start, God says, you know, listen, they provoked me to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to devils. These are God's people in the Old Testament. This is how jacked up they were, and how far away from God they got. Uh, They, 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 whom they knew not to gods that newly came up, whom your fathers feared not, of the rock that begot thee, thou art unmindful, and has forgotten God that formed thee. And he's talking to them as a nation. When the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. I mean, Israel provoked God to jealousy. Galatians chapter 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And and I just want to say this morning, listen, God's got it under control. God's got it under control, number one, for your salvation. He provided a way, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace through your faith in the finished work of Christ. Do you believe in works-based salvation? Yes, but the one that did the work was Jesus. The one that did the work was Jesus Christ, and, and it's only my faith in his finished work that can make me right with God. And can I just tell you, listen, we need to learn from Israel, and and this will be a recurring thing. If we're not careful, we can make ourselves spiritually blind and deaf to the things of God. That's a dangerous thing. Israel was spiritually blind and deaf, and still religious, and still offering sacrifices, and still trying to establish their own righteousness, and were still morally superior to the Gentiles. And they were deaf and blind and they were on the way to hell. Man, and so we need, to, we need to appreciate that. We need to learn from their example. Let's get to the place where we don't reject God's word in our life. You know, and I know this morning you got a lot, but can I just tell you, it's easy to sit in church and still be blind and deaf to the things of God. You know, a lot of what determines whether or not you hear and see God is, is the attitude that you walk in with. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that in the same service, man, some people will be just blind and deaf to the things of God, and this, and and in the same service, other people will be like, man, God showed me all kinds of things that I needed to have for my life. I learned so much. Here's what God had in my heart uh, for me to change today. For me, it's amazing. It goes back to our heart attitude. Sometimes we reap what we've sown because we're sowing to the flesh in our relationship with God. And just like Israel, we, we will reap the carnal consequences of that because we're sowing to the carnal side of our spiritual, or, or, or the carnal side of our walk with God. God is not mocked. God's not mocked. And so listen, today, today, let's just be right with him. Let's just be right with him. God doesn't want you spiritually blind and deaf. He doesn't want you spiritually blind and deaf to the gospel. If you're willing to hear it, he'll let you hear it. And God doesn't want you to be spiritually blind and deaf to the things of God after you get saved. But you can be. You you can be. By the way, it's really hard to pastor people that are blind and deaf. It's hard. I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying it's hard. It's hard to lead people that can't see and can't hear. They're unleadable (laughs) because they don't hear God's voice. And then lastly, we need to make sure we understand God has a plan for his people. Man, we're just the, we're the beneficiary. We're going to get into that whole grafting into the olive tree and all that stuff in the next couple of weeks. We're going to see how God did it technically. But can I just tell you, man, we are the beneficiaries that didn't deserve any of it. (laughs) We are just, we are the the dogs getting the crumbs from the table. And, uh, And so let us have a right heart attitude toward that nation of people whom God is going to restore. What do we need to pray for Israel now? We need to pray they get saved. That's what Paul prayed for them. Paul prayed that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we should pray because, listen, God is going to continue to deal with them leading up to and including and, and pinnacling in that tribulation period. And God help, God help that people to get saved so that they don't have to experience that. Does that make sense? So we need to pray for Israel. All right, let's bow our heads. We're going we're gonna to pray us out here, and we're done.